You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. It is a well-known fact that any trend hidden by ups and downs is not acknowledged by the general public, such as global warming. Unfortunately, nursing has had a history of shortages and layoffs, which has masked the current unprecedented global nursing shortage. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Kathleen Bartholomew. Kathleen served as the manager of a 57-bed orthopedic and spine unit in Seattle, Washington, and is now a consultant. A registered nurse and counselor, Bartholomew brings to light the challenges and issues facing nurses today. She is the author of Speak Your Truth, Proven Strategies to Improve Physician-Nurse Relationships. Welcome. Thank you, Leslie. I'm really happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, So, Kathleen, this isn't the first nursing shortage in recent history. Why should we be alarmed about this particular one? First of all, because it's a global shortage. Other shortages have been just limited to the United States alone. And the second reason is because um, from the public and from the government, no one's recognizing the impact that this shortage has. And if they don't, it's going to fall 36% within the next decade alone, we will have a shortage of a million nurses. A million nurses just in the United States? Yes. I mean, currently, the statistics as of May 2005, where they immediately needed 120,000 RNs to fill vacancies in hospitals, over 100,000 physicians in long-term nursing care facilities, they've been They've been hit the worst. The nurse turnover rate is exceeding 50% in long-term healthcare facilities. Wow. So are we talking just about registered nurses or, or LPNs as well? No, we're just talking about registered nurses. And I think the statistics are starting to include advanced practice nurses as well. Is there a shortage there? There's no shortage with the advanced practice nurses, but they're having trouble finding their spot where they can fit into the system, basically. So why do we have such an enormous shortage? There are no teachers. Oh, (laughs) that's a good reason. Well, I graduated in 2005, to give you an example, with my master's degree in nursing. I was making over $100,000 a year in the hospital managing, and I was offered two positions, tenured track positions in nursing colleges, um, full-time, and they offered me a salary of $47,000. Wow. It's over a 50% decrease. Right. So when people are graduating with their master's degrees, they can't afford to be teachers. What's the average age of a practicing nurse? 47. It's up a year from last year. So the, the whole industry is aging. Absolutely. And we don't have enough young people coming in. And furthermore, the young people that are coming in are finding it so difficult that they're leaving. There's a couple issues there. One is that 60% of new grads are leaving their first job because of verbal abuse and hostile comments from coworkers. And the second is is just the complexity, the, the compression of all the things that they have to do in an eight-hour shift. So I wonder, is there any other industry where um, skilled, educated workers leave in such numbers? No. So, so when I, if I hear you correctly, there's a problem in that there aren't enough teachers um, to educate the nurses of tomorrow. Are there enough young people interested in going into the field that if we had the educators, we could um, keep up with the trend? Oh, funny you should ask. Absolutely. In fact, we had to turn away, I think it was almost, uh, it was 30 to 40 percent of nurses who were qualified and ready to go, but they couldn't fit into any nursing schools. So um, people are applying. 
It's just that they can't, there's no uh, financial help for them because I don't know if you know, but right now, right before the president, what he did is his budget hit nursing very hard. He removed uh, $41 million from the advanced practice nursing program, which would cover help for education for new nurses. So the demand is out there with potential students, but we don't have the money or the teachers to train them. And then once they are able to get in school and get trained, they leave the profession in droves. So we have many areas where there could be potential intervention. Um, So what can be done? That's a difficult question, but there's The first thing would be that we really need to get bills in front of Congress that give money for education so that we can get more teachers in there. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I'm not really sure that our current health care system can possibly survive uh, with nurses in the roles that they have now. People don't realize that over the last 10 years, the nurse that a work does in a hospital, especially I'll just use that one area since I know it well, but the work that a nurse does has changed dramatically. And the reason is because Um, People are living longer. They have chronic and secondary illnesses. They have many more medications. They have a shorter length of stay. If you could compress five days of an average worker's work into one shift, that's what a nurse would do. It's just very compressed. So is that why nurses are leaving? I think that that's the number one reason. And how does all this affect patients? Greatly. It's interesting that, that nurses... Most patients can't really tell you what nurses do, but they sure can tell you if they like their nurse or they don't. And they like a nurse who has the time to talk to them and the time to spend with them. And I'll tell you, if you've come out of surgery and you've been in a bed for four or five days, you, you want a bath and your hair shampooed more than you want pain medicine. When you don't have time to do that and you're rushed through that and nobody has time, you begin to feel like an object when you're a patient in the hospital. You just feel like a thing, another task that has to be done. There's no time for the relationship. You can't care quickly. Caring takes time. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, your host, and with me today is the author of Ending Nurse-to-Nurse Hostility, Why Nurses Eat Their Young and Each Other, Ms. Kathleen Bartholomew. We are discussing the nursing shortage. So, so Kathleen, patients don't get the probably the TLC that they used to by nurses. They not only don't get the TLC, but they don't. That nurse is really busy, and a nurse did a lot more than the TLC. She looked at the doctor's orders, and she'd look at past orders. For example, I can't tell you how many times a patient patient will come from surgery, and they're not on their pre-surgery medications. Who finds that error? The nurse does. Yesterday, I go in, and my patient's tachycardic. Heart rate's 124 consistently. I go to get the chart, and none of the heart medications had been restarted. So not only is it uh, perhaps a less pleasant place to be, but perhaps the hospital is a more dangerous place. For sure. Everyone's familiar with the 1999 IOM report that said, what is it, 48 to 98,000 people die a year in hospital, specifically of medical errors. So you're feeling as if if we had a greater number of registered nurses, uh, this could impact that dreadful statistic? Absolutely. When you're rushing around trying to get tasks and supplies, there's other things. There's the supplies that they need are not at the bedside. There's only one place to get medications. Nurses stand in line to get the medications. People are on sometimes 13 and 14 pills. And by the time one nurse can sit there and recheck and double-check those meds to make sure that they're all the meds, I mean, a half an hour has gone by. She has five other patients. It's just more difficult. 
So it sounds like nurses are burned out. They definitely are. And unfortunately, uh, some of that burnout is they, they're taking out their stress on each, each other. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about that. For a long time, it's been known that when you have a group that's dominant and a group that's subordinate, there's certain interactions, certain power plays that happen. Paulo Freer was an economist, a sociologist from Brazil. And what he would do is he'd go in and he'd study groups that were colonized. And what he found out was that the dominant group, whatever their values were, they were soon the subordinate group would just throw off their values and value what the dominant group valued. And nursing is an oppressed discipline, and they've forgotten what they value. And any group that's subordinate and can't direct its power upward starts lashing out at each other. That's why street gangs fight. What can us as physicians do to help this situation? The most simple thing, and also I think one of the most powerful things, is to learn a nurse's name. In her book, Nickel and Dimed on Not Getting By in America, the author was given the task of trying to live on minimum wage for an entire year, even though she had a PhD, and she couldn't do it. But the interesting part is on the very first week that she was at work, what she noticed was that no one ever called her by her name. In fact, she said, In this parallel world where my father is a coal miner, my name remains unuttered. I am honey. I am blondie. I am girl. That's what we used to do with the slaves when they came to America. We would not name them. It was just boy or girl. Because to name somebody puts them in a different category, and and you have to see them as a human being. So learning a nurse's name is powerful. I can't tell you when the physicians at our hospital started learning the nurse's name, so the nurses would literally come up to me and said, Dr. So-and-so called me by my name today. And there was a retirement dinner, and one of the nurses I found at the corner, and she had tears in her eyes. She was over at, at the corner of the room. And I said, what's the matter? And she turned to me, and she said, I've worked here for 15 years, and he doesn't even know my name. Isn't it interesting, though, in this environment where everybody's Um, busier and more stressed that we actually don't turn to each other for support and help? You know, you would think that would be the natural instinct. I think that's the first instinct, but I think that when things continue, I think that does happen at first, but I think that when things continue and the stress never abates, then we turn to this life preserver mentality where I'm all in it for me and I just have to survive. We leave that lifeboat mentality where we're all in it together and we'll get out of this somehow, and we start focusing on our own needs. So so don't nurses, uh, most nurses wear ID tags with their name. It's not like you have to memorize them, don't they? That's true. But to tell you the truth, some of our physicians said the names are too small. And we can't read them just glancing by. So um, what they asked is, you know, for a couple weeks or even a month, can you just take a name tag and write your first name really large on over your badge? so that that we can learn your names. Well, it seems like that would be an easy fix for hospital administrators just to, you know, I'm sure patients have the same problem. It's hard to read the the little font as we get older that maybe the name badges just should be bigger with a bigger font. Yes, well, the patients can't even tell who the nurse is these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things certainly when I've been in the hospital is everybody has a white coat and sort of looks the same from the orderlies to the nurses and even the physicians that uh, it it is hard to know who's who. You know, I I would guess that the old days of wearing uh, those white hats and the sort of stereotypic nurse's uniform, most nurses are glad to see that gone. But in fact, it did separate out who was the nurse you could see visually. Right, and it made a big difference. I can't tell you how many uh, patients have asked my nursing assistants, assuming that because they were male, they were a physician. I'd like to mention a few more things besides learning names that physicians could do if you have the time. Please. Okay. um, Another one would be 
to give some mini in-services, I don't mean something that's planned. I mean, if you have a problem, let's say you have a patient with compartment syndrome on the floor, um, and the nurses are always a captive audience at change of report, 7 o'clock, 3 o'clock, all the time you can count on them being there, walking in and just speaking to the group for five minutes about something that you've noticed on the floor you want them to pay special attention to is, is wonderful. It really helps. And then the other thing is really if somebody has a joint event, whether it's education or celebrating, if there's a drug rep who's come to town um, or it's an in-service or you just want to have a Christmas party, don't brush it off as, as not being important on your calendar because those are the times where we get to know each other as human beings, and that relationship that you build from human to human is, is critical. I want to thank our guest, Kathleen Bartholomew. We've been discussing what we can do about the nursing shortage. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.